Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and today, this hour, we're going to focus on information. We're going to focus on misinformation. We're going to focus on a couple of places where you would expect uh, God's voice to be heard and other places where it isn't and other places where you sometimes forget that God is speaking into your situation and then he shows up and speaks. So, I mean... I don't know how better than to prepare us for this conversation than, of course, if you are listening on the network, the first half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up top of the hour. I had to miss last week's uh, program due to a family issue, but uh, looking forward to being uh, back with the guys here again uh, for this week's edition of the program. You know, one of the things that we cherish here at the Bottom Line Show is the fact that we have the opportunity to talk about things on a fairly regular basis. And by the way, um, it's interesting. I uh, routinely flip through the websites of other uh, Christian radio programs, podcasts, broadcasts, things of that nature, just to find out where people are. You know what 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 we're talking about, um, what you would like to be talking about. You know, and and our mission here at the Bottom Line Show is twofold. First of all, we talk about the things that hopefully are beneficial to the body of Christ as we live as citizens of heaven but residents of earth. But then also. The, not only are we talking about the things that uh, that are important to talk about, we also talk about the things that people aren't talking about or try to bring this up. And one of the things that I really appreciate, every time you call in at 800-227-5278 or go online at kbrightradio.com, thebottomlineshow.com, rogermarsh.com, and give us your feedback, um, one of the top reasons we hear from people who have listened to The Bottom Line Show over 12 years, my goodness, next year we celebrate our 12th anniversary of being uh, headquartered at K-Bright Radio, KBRT, in Southern California, and now having expanded into 31 different markets. But one of the top reasons why uh, you have told us that you like listening to the program is variety. In fact, that we talk about different things um, on the program each and every day. I mean, there are some recurring themes that show up, the sanctity of human life, religious liberty, you know, th- those types of things. But not only is there the variety there, but also there's the variety of uh, the topics that are discussed as opposed to what you're hearing in the mainstream media. You know, it takes a while. <laughs> it, it really does take a certain measure of effort to find out what's being reported and where. Praise the Lord for the internet. If we were just relying on local newspapers, uh, that wouldn't always be the case. And I'll be perfectly frank, since we're getting all uh, sentimental here. It was on Monday, September 19th, uh, 2011, that the Bottom Line Show launched. So this weekend, actually, let's see if I can do the math. Okay, Monday was the 19th this year. It's a Tuesday. So um, on, gosh, it was a Wednesday morning. It might have even been today. (laughs) I think it was. As a matter of fact, at this very moment, 12 years ago, I was, uh, had been whisked away on an airplane from John Wayne Airport to Detroit for a meeting with Non Crawford Sr. and Bob Duco and Frank Franciosi, our station manager at WMUZ, and uh, David Householder and I were the uh, co-hosts at the time for the Bottom Line Show, and we got to sit in with Bob Duco on Bob Duco's program, had dinner with Bob afterwards, and we were discussing how do you prepare a program like, you know, Bob does four hours every day. I mean, it's just, it's... It's amazing how many topics Bob has to be read up on, and his production team does a fantastic job of keeping him well versed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but I remember coming into the conference room at WMUZ in Detroit, and Bob came in and he had like this file folder. Now remember, this is 2011. I had just purchased my first smartphone the year before. Smartphones had only been around about five years. Tablets, you know, not a whole lot of people had mobile uh, capabilities like that. Bob brought in a file cabinet, and I kid you not, he had magazine articles and newspaper clippings that he had cut out and had categorized in a file. I mean, that's that's how organized Bob is, but that's how we used to process the stories that we cover on Bottom Line Show. And, and now, of course, I'm staring at an internet uh, laptop connection here that has 20 different tabs open. I've got my smartphone here. I mean, we're looking and reading and reading and looking and praying and trying to see what we can find out. But one thing we are definitely committed to here at the Bottom Line Show, of course, is biblical truth, first and foremost. And one of the more shocking developments that I've seen after having sat in this chair for a good 12 years is the number of faith-based institutions or institutions that at least have a 
uh, a faith component to them that have kind of got, kind of gone the way of secular liberalism or even progressivism. I long for the days where there were liberals, conservatives, and moderates that could get together and have conversations because now it seems like it's progressives on the hard left, fundamentalists on the hard right, and those of us who live in those other three categories have a tough time finding a place to fit because everybody has to beat everybody and everybody has to be right all the time. And we, 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 we cherish and worship the people who adhere to our values and, and we vilify uh, the ones that we haven't deified. Instead of saying, wait a minute, at the end of the day as Christians, what's our job? First and foremost, primary job. I mean, when you look at people on social media who profess faith in Christ and their X or Twitter feed or their Instagram page or whatever is all about how I can own somebody else, how I can drop the mic on them, how I can win the internet for the day with my smarmy, snarky meme, instead of saying, wait, how do I go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news? There are millions of people who are dying in this country right now, spiritually, because they are under the impression that because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, that all sin is forgiven, everybody can live any way they want to, just be nice to each other as often as you can, and at the end of the day, we're all going to heaven or Nirvana or Mecca or wherever you think we're going. And nothing could be further from the truth. Did Jesus Christ come to die to pay the penalty of the sin of the world? Absolutely. Absolutely he did. But that gift is worthless if we as individuals are not motivated, prompted by the Holy Spirit to receive that gift and to claim it as our own, which leads us into this lordship salvation relationship with Jesus that is where we find life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. There are a lot of people who say, yeah, I believe that Jesus, that God exists, that Jesus exists, that he paid the penalty for my sin, and that's great. But if you don't receive it, it's, you know, the whole, there's a million dollars in the bank with your name on it, that million dollars doesn't do you any good unless you go to the bank and say, that's me, and I want to claim that gift. And then what will that gift do to transform your life? There's a group called the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. Uh, they used to be a college-based organization. It was called the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. And what they do is they take a look at college campuses. They look at high school campuses too. And in their college report, they're, they're really paying attention to uh, freedom of speech, you know, educational opportunities, things of that nature. And typically when FIRE, as they are known, uh, takes a look at these things, they're pretty much pitting faith-based organizations against secular organizations. We would expect that the secular community, when it comes to education, we know that the vast majority, over 90%, if not 95% of college instructors are liberal, if not progressive. We know that the, the, the bent of the secular, traditional, classical education has been uh, taken over by the woke mob. And Christian universities, Catholic colleges, things of that nature has kind of become the last bastion for young minds to go and be challenged with rigorous academic standards, but also to not have the truth dumbed down or completely eliminated. One of the ways that the left has infiltrated the thought of the culture has been to shut down free speech. And by shutting down free speech, what that typically means is progressives who are more often than not wrong will hear viewpoints from conservatives who are more often than not right, I mean, not just right, right, but correct, right, and then basically say, well, you're messing up our nirvana. <laughs> I mean, we, we like the way this all sounds to us. I mean, I, I, I liken it very naively and simply, I think, to if there's a, let, let's say that you like to play Monopoly and another family likes to play Monopoly and you're visiting their home. And so you know that there's the board and the cash denominations and the certain rules and you buy this property for this much and pay this fine, et cetera, et cetera. And there are actual rules that Milton Bradley, I believe, put into the game that very few people follow. We all know enough about it <laughs> to where you roll the dice, you wind up, you don't want to go, go to jail, you'll end free parking, you know, whatever it is. But then you go to somebody else's house and they play the game slightly differently. This was a big thing in our family. In the Marsh family, we didn't have money in a pot in the middle of the table. If you landed on free parking, you didn't get all the money in the pot. If, and I didn't understand that any fines, any fees or whatever went into this pot. And 
but now I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I haven't read the rules in forever. I don't know if that's even part of Monopoly or not, but I know enough families who play the game that way. Our family never did. So the first time we encountered that, we're like, what in the heck are you doing? And they're looking at us like, what in the heck are you doing? Magnify that now on a college campus where liberals have convinced themselves that men can lactate and women can become men and gender is fluid and, and, and anything that has to do with biblical morality is wrong, but I can set my own moral standards. And you come in and speak biblical truth to those people. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, no, no, no. We play the, uh, the, uh, the money pot with the free parking thing in this household. This is the way we do it. When the game gets boring and no one's buying property, we sell them all for mortgage value. That's how we do it here. I mean, you're changing the rules of the game. And what the left hates is for people on the conservative side of the equation to show up speaking truth that doesn't line up with their narrative. Well, recently, uh, between January 13th and June 23rd, the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression uh, put together its college free speech rankings for 2024. They surveyed over 55,000 students from 254 colleges and universities during that time. The margin of error for the overall undergraduate respondents was plus or minus one percentage point, which is very, very good, very accurate. Um, when it comes to sub-demographics, grad students, stuff like that, it went anywhere due to 5%. But here's what's interesting about this. When it comes to free speech, Michigan Technological University ranked highest of the 254 uh, campuses. They had an overall score of 78.01. They were labeled, labeled good when it comes to free speech. At the bottom of the list, or near the bottom, I should say, were Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. and Fordham University in New York. Georgetown had the fourth worst free speech uh, climate. Their overall score was 17.45. Fordham placed fifth worst, 21.72. Now, remember, Michigan Technological University, when it comes to free speech, 78.1. These other two schools, 21.72 and 17.45. What's interesting about this is Georgetown and Fordham are both Catholic universities. That means two out of the five worst schools in this survey for free speech have a biblical worldview ostensibly is part of their DNA. Amazing. Just utterly amazing and mind-boggling. But don't just trust your kids' education and your money, if you're paying for it, to those universities that say, we're a Christian school, we're a Catholic school, we're here to mirror your values and virtues. We'll put this study up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, as we continue, you have to wonder, when you see things like this happening, even at Catholic and Christian schools, does God really care about what's happening in our world? Does he care about you personally, especially if you're at one of those schools where, uh, or you're part of one of those groups where your free speech is at risk and the threat of not being taught the truth is also in danger as well. A popular radio host and podcaster, Susie Larson, understands how important it is to hear the voice of God. She's been through enough trauma in her life that anybody would, you know, have to endure and then ask the question, okay, where is God when I need him the most? She answers that question in her brand new book called Closer Than Your Next Breath. It is gripping, it is compelling, and I'm grateful to say that we have a couple copies of the book that we'll be giving away today at the conclusion of this conversation. First, though, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Susie Larson joins me to talk about how God reveals himself to us when we need him the most. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest, 
while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that I think is important for all of us as believers to understand. We A lot of times we get the macro part of God. We understand how big he is, how great he is, and how small we are in the middle of all that. But when it comes to the micro part of God, the, the innermost parts of the inner workings of our relationship with him, how much do we really understand? Uh, Susie Larson is a best-selling author, national speaker. She's the host of the popular radio program, Susie Larson Live. And uh, she is, has written a brand new book that is going to open our eyes to how close God gets to us and how close we can get to him. The book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Susie Larson, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Roger, such an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me today. Well, we appreciate what you've done here. I do. I mean, because let's face it, everyone knows, you know, the great omnipotent God, you know, the great and powerful, if you will, here, there, everywhere, you know, he's constantly kind of in our midst. At the same time, though, there are those who say, hey, you know what? God doesn't care about where you park. God doesn't care about, you know, how you comb your hair, this, that, and the other thing. He has the hairs numbered, but he doesn't care about that. You're kind of pushing back against that idea in this brand new book. What what led you to say this is, I mean, where I'm supposed to be in the writing space right now? Well, I appreciate that question so much because I feel very passionate about that. I've actually heard speakers say, God doesn't care where you work. He doesn't care where you park. Uh, just do those things that's unto him. And that may sound like a good talking point, but I would beg to differ based on what Scripture says because he delights in every detail of our lives. That, As you say, every hair on our head is numbered. Every mm-hmm. thought that he has towards us, it out, they outnumber the grains of sand. And you think of who God is, every thought that he has about you, Roger, is holy. Like mm. he's not ever breathing his eye and, you know, breathing a heavy sigh and rolling his eyes because you can't, you know, you can't get it together. I mean, he is an intended, attentive, invested, loving Heavenly Father. And I wasn't a perfect mom, but I was an engaged mom. My boys are grown now. And mm. I can tell you there was not even one time when those boys asked me, can I go to the park or go to the neighbor's house? Not once did I ever say, I, I don't care. <laughs> I never <laughs> yeah. once said that because I yeah. care so much and how much better of a father he is. And I think it is a bit of a cop-out to, to relegate him to that position because then you're not going to feel compelled to seek him. But mm-hmm. when you seek him, you'll find him and you'll find him very interested and involved in your life. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the, the you'll never get that kind of exasperated, you know, sigh or whatever with God. And I'll never forget the moment. My son was a first year of college and he was kind of chuckling at the fact that he said, oh, boy, I don't want to give that reaction to whatever it was we were talking about because I don't want to get the exasperated head tilt from dad. And I went, the what? <laughs> and, and his sister started laughing and they said, you know, you kind of tilt your head to the right and go. <laughs> like that. And ever since then, I thought, you know, I wondered, I, I often think about that. There are, I know there are times when I do things and they're, that are out of God's will that I get the exasperated head tilt, or as my wife would say, the side eye, you know, from him. But what you're talking about, I think is a whole different dimension. Is God pleased with our sin? Of course not. But does God not take interest in everything that we're doing? That's a whole different conversation. And I'm really glad you, you brought it up. Was there something in your world that maybe sparked this, that, that said, this is the, the reason why I want to write this book? Wow, that's so good. Well, just a side note, my husband rubs his temples when he's stressed. And uh, you know, the kids have made him rub his temples, and I've uh-huh. made him rub his temples. So I do joke. I'm sure I've made Love God it. rub his temples at times. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and truly, when you think about even the Israelites, he did get very frustrated with them. But he saw yeah. them always and saw us always, sees us always through a redemptive lens. And I think that's extremely important. He's not given to bouts of reaction. I mean, he is God. And and for me, Roger, I'll tell you, my context comes from, you know, I was raised in a large family, fifth of seven kids, and uh, was a people pleaser, rule follower um, in a denomination where I knew God was real. I knew it. In my, as a child, I knew he was real. I, I think I even sensed his presence. I know I did as a child, mm-hmm. but I didn't know Jesus was accessible. I didn't have any kind of gospel preached to me or anything like that. But I had two really significant childhood traumas that happened that uh, really profoundly impacted my view of the world, my view of God, and my view of the enemy. And mm-hmm. The first one was about nine years old. I was uh, pinned down by some boys in our 
neighborhood uh, and sexually assaulted. And oh. my dad was oh. the, the mayor of our city for 27 years. And so as a young girl, even, you know, I knew we were a public family and these boys mm-hmm. were connected to my brothers. And so, you know, I just, I was afraid I would bring some kind of shame or scandal on right. the family. So I, I didn't tell anybody, but it literally opened up a canyon of fear and insecurity. And then about 10 years old, I was walking home from school, and I'm just, I'm 5'2 now. I was probably four foot tall back then. And uh, I had to cross a baseball field to get home. And I just hear out of my peripheral, uh, some boys say, get her. And they were hiding out in the dugout, and they were smoking something or taking drugs or something. I know that now because in my adult mind, I, I saw the crazed look in their eyes, but they ran me down, knocked me to the ground and beat me to a pulp and mm. laughed wildly. They did it. They kicked me in the stomach and punched me in the face. And they had this laugh, like crazed look. And they were, they're were just beating me up for sport. And I'm utterly traumatized, curled up in a ball, crying and screaming. No. And when they were done with me, I, I remember like it was yesterday, they pushed off of me and walked away and laughed and said, can you believe we just did that? And I had a fat lip and I had scratches on my face and snarls in my hair. I, I was, mm. my bell was so wrong. I, mm-hmm. I was so traumatized <laughs> and I got up and, I didn't hear this audibly, but I heard in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. Mm. And that's when I knew the devil was real. And that mm-hmm. is really, mm-hmm. Roger, if you read any of my past books, the fear has been a companion. I've, I've overcome a lot. I'm not the person I was. Right. I'm not fearless yet, but I, I'm not a fearful person anymore. But I had a lot to overcome because of those things. And I knew the devil was real. I knew God was real. But I thought, really, as a young person, I was at the mercy, mostly, of the enemy, came to Christ as a young teen, and it was in my young adult years, during a month on bed rest with a high-risk pregnancy. And I, doctors let me get up one day just because I'd been in bed for, you know, three months at this point, had three months to go and had mm-hmm. two little babies still. And my life just, you know, all of my insecurities, all my fears were surfacing. Sure. And my one day up, I met my old college roommates for lunch, and uh, I was so careful. We went for a walk, but that was too much. I went back to bed. Two weeks into, two weeks later from that outing, still pregnant, my face started to go numb and my arms started to tingle and hmm. neurological fireworks started to go off in my body. And so I had three months of left of bed rest with neurological stuff and I was still hmm. new enough in my faith. I thought God lost my address or changed mm-hmm. his mind about right. me. And right. my, fr- my friends all had health and wealth and I had neither. Well, long story short, I delivered our son. My health plummeted and they thought first it was MS or brain tumor. And a year later, found out my one day up, I'd been unknowingly bit by the deer tick and contracted Lyme oh, disease. Oh, Susie. And uh, which affects me still to this day. I've, I've come a long way, but it's been, not been an easy battle. And again, Roger, I heard in my head, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. And so my mm-hmm. early years of faith really, truly were forged with digging into the Word, going, what is true about God? What is right. true about me? Nothing came easy for me. And there were times God broke through and brought revelatory insight about who he is and who I am, and other times where he was very silent. So my dear, my prayer for this book is that it's a healing balm for people to know how to navigate both the times when he doesn't seem to be speaking and the times when he is. You know, we have a choice to make, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what we believe about God really makes all the difference in the world. But we can be like the Israelites. They, they saw so many miracles, and yet in that little time that they had to wait while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. they got impatient. They yep. diminished Moses. They said, we don't know what's become of this fellow, right? And they built idols, and we can do the same thing if we forget who God is. I want us to remember who God is, know that he is good. It's the enemy that's the thief. And when we can remember his character, we can navigate each and every one of these seasons. Wow. We're going to take a break right now because I need it, okay? I mean, I know <laughs> listening to Susie's testimony, this is incredible. But when you think about all of everything that Susie Larson's been through and that she writes about in her new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, where is God when you need him most? If you have found yourself kind of plumbing the depths of your soul and saying, gosh, it feels like I'm separated from God or it feels like God's punishing me somehow, or maybe it's even retroactive, like this kind of spiritual clawback, you know, that's going back into my past, um, you'll be encouraged by this book because of the fact that it talks about how you can ponder his presence and you can experience the supernatural power of God. You, you, can, you can understand what it's like for him to lavish his grace upon you. And this is a fantastic resource for that. Susie Larson, host of Susie Larson Live is my guest. The book Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most is up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Susie Larson is my guest today here on the program. We're talking about her amazing new book, 
And what a remarkable testimony she's sharing with us today here on the program. The book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him The Most? That's a rhetorical question. This book has nothing but five stars up at Amazon, and we have two copies to give away today here. 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Susie Larson's brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him the most? 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I marvel when people like Susie Larson have the courage to share their story. I'm also, it does, it's not lost on me one bit that there's a reason why God has given her a platform as a writer, a speaker, a broadcaster, and a podcaster, and that's because she stewards the story that she has been given, that she's been made to endure. Uh, she stewards it very, very well. Um, in a day and age when people seem to be running away from end times, and what about the Antichrist, and uh, digital currency, and this, that, and the other thing, we as Christians are wise to remember that whatever hardship we endure here will have eternal benefit for us, and also potentially for people who watch us learn to suffer well. Uh, Susie's a real inspiration, and we're going to finish our conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law fights for your rights inside and outside the courtroom. As an experienced trial attorney, Stephanie knows that litigating inside a courtroom often costs you more in terms of money, stress, and time. That's why, for the client's sake, she will work hard to settle without the need for a costly trial. Stephanie consistently led her firm in settled cases each month. Because Stephanie worked for insurance companies for decades, she knows how to talk to them. Her knowledge of the insurance process means she's highly qualified and even enjoys talking to insurance adjusters and attorneys on your behalf. Stephanie challenges them with tough questions and holds them accountable for your benefit. When you're in an accident, you want an attorney that will protect your rights and get you the settlement you deserve. Call the attorney who knows the insurance company's processes inside and out and will fight for your total compensation. Call Stephanie Cover at Cover Law today at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today. Susie Larson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. If you're just joining us or if you just caught the tail end of what she was sharing in the opening segment, I encourage you, I implore you to go to thebottomlineshow.com and catch the entire podcast of this because uh, you're going to be blessed uh, beyond measure. Susie Larson, best-selling author, national speaker, host of the radio program, Susie Larson Live. How long have you been doing that program now? That's, a, that's, that's no small feat with all the writing and speaking you do to maintain five days a week on the radio as well. Spoken like a true radio guy. You're so right. That's a lot of work. So, yeah. um, been doing radio for 16 years. So uh -huh. I started probably the first four years I was a guest host. So uh, for about 12 years I've had my own show. And you're uh -huh. so right. The daily of reading books and prepping and then writing your own. Uh, it, it does take some focus and discipline. I'll say that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, as you shared earlier about your amazing testimony and the fact that God was kind of an idea to you until he became real to you, but not after you'd been through some massive trauma uh, in the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? I'm sure a lot of people, it's no surprise it has five star ratings all the way across the board because you're, you're really hitting a, a hard memory with people. We were talking earlier a little more lightheartedly about God's exasperated head tilt or rubbing of the temples, you know, when we do something that we think kind of drives him away from us. And yet you write about in this book that he is, I mean, he's with us all. Uh, why is it that we can have that confidence? I mean, what, what is it that you have discovered, Susie Larson, with your background and with the trauma that you've experienced, the fact that you have the devil literally whispering in one ear saying, I can get you and God can't get close. And yet, you know, in your heart, but the Holy Spirit's revealed to you that God is close. I mean, closer than your next breath. I mean, he's with you in every situation. How is it that you reconcile the fact that there's evil in the world, there's been attacks against you, but God is your driving force right now? Mm, so good. You know, again, there's verses in Scripture that make those promises. You draw near, He draws near. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. In fact, you talked about that, that the God, you know, the, the 30,000-foot view, the one who put the stars in place. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them out by name. 
His, how great is our Lord? His power is absolute. So think about that. He calls all the stars by name, and he heals up your hurts. I think we have to get a revelation of who he is. But you're so right. When life batters you, you can identify more with bracing for impact, waiting for the next shoe to drop, uh, accusing God of things that the devil is guilty of. And, you know, I had a pretty massive health relapse after kind of finding a way to navigate for about 20 years with the health challenges. I'm a fitness person. I worked in the fitness industry for a lot of years, so I Mm. know some things about how to fight back. But eight years ago, I had a really massive relapse that was absolutely devastating to me at this age and stage of my life. And it was worse than the first round. And I I was army crawling, and I didn't think I was going to make it through. And I was so devastated, and I was hurt by God. I was disappointed. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. And uh, there was two things that the Lord brought me to that were super important for me to to frame my own disappointments. And one was he brought me to that story where John the Baptist, now remember Jesus said, no greater man born to woman than John the Baptist. Right. And, uh, you know, he baptized Jesus. This is Jesus' cousin. I mean, think about how prophetic even his own birth. I mean, all of it was amazing. But when John was in his own season of obscurity and he was in jail, he doubted himself, and that should comfort you when you walk through times of when you're thrust out of the action where everybody seems to be living their best life but you. So he sends his friends to say, are you the Christ, or should we look for someone else? And I feel like Jesus' answer is laced with conviction and compassion, because he says, you tell John, you know, the lame still leap, the blind still receive their sight, the deaf still right. hear. Blessed are those who are not offended by me. In other words, I'm still the same God. I'm the same miracle-working God. You might go through seasons where you're not where the action is, where you feel cut off from the story, where the promises don't feel true. And in those places, blessed are you who are not offended by me. And I realized uh, you've got to deal with that stuff of your heart because that's where the enemy will try to get in and again and get you. I always say every day you're given the opportunity to either accuse God or trust God. The other thing that really, really helped me heal, that really is what this book came out of and the following devotional that comes out in January, was a friend approached me because she could tell I was so battered by this storm. And I'm, I'm a seasoned, serious follower of Christ, but I, I was still worshiping, still reading the Word, but she could see a sadness in me and a mistrust that I didn't. I interpreted this bracing for impact not as a mistrust of God, but a natural reaction to an unpredictable disease because these neurological surges would hit me out of nowhere, and they're terrifying. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it really was a mistrust of God. And she said, Susie, goodness and mercy, only goodness and mercy are allowed to follow you because you follow Jesus. And she said, mm. if you think anything different when you think about God, that means something in you needs to be healed and something in your thinking is out of alignment. And wow. she said, there's a pattern of theft in everybody's life. And the enemy starts from our childhood to condition us to believe those lies so he can keep coming in and stealing from us. And, mm. and the enemy has stolen your perspective of God. Mm. So even though I loved him and I feared him and I served him and I wasn't going hog wild into sin, I was hurt by him, disappointed in him. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, I wouldn't have said that out loud till I faced it. Sure. And I realized what I had imprinted in my heart was he can't be trusted. Like, I mm-hmm. love him. I'm going to end up in heaven with him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, he can't be trusted. And so when I look, please cut me off, Roger, if you need to. But no, I have fine. found myself, okay, I have found myself very intrigued by why the Israelites, the first generation, didn't make it to the Promised Land and why they were exiled to Babylon, because I feel like we are a people exiled right now. And I'm like, mm. I don't I don't want to make the same mistakes that they did. Lord, I want to learn from what they did wrong, because mm-hmm. they, they did some things wrong, right? And uh, one of the first things that they did wrong in the Old Testament is they stopped listening to God. You can only listen to one voice at a time, and they listen right. to other voices, and by nature, their heart hardened. Well, there's another insight in Psalm 106, verse 7, but you got to look it up in the Amplified version because it expands the meaning. In the Amplified, Psalm 106, 7, it gives us three things that they did that they didn't do that helped. When I started to do these things, I came back to this love relationship with God going, you're not the thief here, the enemy is. You're the mm-hmm. God who mm-hmm. saves. And it just brought my heart back to life, and here they are. The first thing they didn't do was to remember or appreciate the significance of God's miracle. Now, I want you to think about this. They cried out to God, deliver us. He sent them Moses. He loaded them down with the riches of Egypt. He, he healed their bodies because not one feeble among them. I mean, he mm-hmm. parted the seas. What more could this God do for them to set them free? But as soon as Moses was taken too long on Mount Sinai, they made idols. And they didn't appreciate the significance and the timing of God's miracle. So I say, right. if you're in the middle and you're waiting for your miracle, pull one out of your past or a part of the history of God's Word and say, this miracle is enough for me today. He's the same God. 
They didn't mm-hmm. remember or appreciate the significance. Second thing, they stopped marveling at the abundant mercies of God. Mm-hmm. Think about this. He sends new mercies to your door every morning before you have a chance to blow it. I mean, he's so committed <laughs> to getting you safely yeah. home that he's yeah. made provisions before you've needed them. We should be perpetually in awe that he doesn't punish us as our sins deserve. We should never right. take that for granted, and they did. Right. And third, they didn't imprint his loving kindness on their heart, and that's where mm. I had lost my way, Roger. I, I loved him. I worshipped him. But, you know, like imagine a wife who's hurt by her husband, where she's still cooking for him, she's still being kind, but she's got a little bit of locked elbow because sure. <laughs> there's a, a disconnect. And we've got to make the reconnect. And you imprint his loving kindness on your heart by getting to know his love again. So this book was really born out of that process of falling back in love with God, tethering myself even tighter to, to who he actually really is versus what my circumstances say. And then you get perspective. You know, if you live in your soul, which is your mindset on the flesh is, is death, life, mindset on the spirit is life and peace, you'll never get the true picture of your life. But if you live mm. by the spirit, then you will start to be able to frame your trials redemptively, because that's when life and peace, you, and you can face the facts of your story when you're standing on the truth of who God is. It's amazing when you hear a testimony like Susie Larson's today here on The Bottom Line. Susie's the author of the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need It Most? When you hear a testimony like this and you see the fact that uh, that, that she found comfort in the middle of all this and was willing to be remolded, reshaped, you know, in an area where there, uh, the, where there needed to be that kind of remembrance. I will remember is one of the most powerful statements in scripture. And you see this with David all throughout the Psalms. And the fact that the, you were talking about the mercies of God that are so marvelous are in lamentations for crying out loud. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're, we can marvel in the midst of the pain, in the midst of what we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're frustrated with. And so that there's beauty in that. And there's a simplicity in that. Uh, Susie, we've got about 90 seconds left in our time together. And you have really pierced part of someone listening right now who says, oh my goodness, you just read my journal. You just read my blog posts. You know, this is, this is kind of where I am. Maybe not the, the same physical challenges or emotional, but this is where I am where I realize, hey, even though I thought I had it all together, I've kind of been in exile. What encouragement do you have for that person who wants to get off of Patmos and get back in the flow here? Hmm, good, good, good question. You know, I would say stop amassing all your sorrows and sitting in them and getting your perspective from them. God sees them. He's collected the tears uh, in, in a bottle, but uh, start amassing your blessings. In fact, see every good gift in your life with a gift tag to you from God, because every good gift comes from Him. And when Amen. you start to attach every good thing in your life as a very personal gift from a Father who loves you, you'll reframe your perspective and start to believe again that He really is for you. He's, his purposes are for you. And when your story is all said, and done, you will love your story because he's doing something amazing with your life. I love that. That's beautiful perspective from Susie Larson, the host of Susie Larson Live. Where do we find you online, Susie? I know a lot of our listeners, we're in the Western U.S., but would love to be able to pick you up and catch you daily on the radio. Where do we find you there? Well, thanks for doing that. Once the live show is over, you can go, it goes to podcasts or wherever podcasts are played, you can search Susie Larson Live, or you can listen online during the live show, three o'clock central at myfaithradio.com or get the free app. But I think it might be easiest to just find me on podcast after the fact, Susie Larson Live, you'll find it. Okay, we'll link that up at thebottomlineshow.com and also a link for the book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most by Susie Larson. Susie, thank you for being so vulnerable and so authentic and sharing your faith with us today. Not that you don't always do that on your program, but it was just a, a whole bunch of authenticity that we really needed to hear. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Well, thanks for all you do for the kingdom, Roger. Thanks for having me today. What a powerful conversation today here on The Bottom Line. Susie Larson has been my guest, and as I mentioned, the book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? We've got two copies of the book we're giving away today, and I encourage you to give us a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Susie Larson's outstanding new book that deals with the fact that even though it may not seem like it, the God of creation really does care deeply about every detail of our personal lives. And um, I mean, the one who created the galaxies, named every star, uh, if you have been hurt, if you have been wounded by the church or by a family member or by a friend, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual abuse, you will benefit from this book by Susie Larson. Again, the book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him the most? We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and two copies we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, uh, some update uh, for you with regard to babies and abortions and the women who choose abortion, but the babies who say, not so fast there, mom. Did you know that September is Babies Survive Abortion Awareness Month? Well, we've got information on the statistics and how common it is for a woman to undergo an abortion go through the whole procedure and it quote unquote doesn't take or the baby finds a way to survive by God's grace. Uh, We're going to get into what the actual numbers are and it's just mind boggling. (laughs) It really is, but it's an important story to tell. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Susie Larson for joining me today here on the bottom line to talk about her powerful new book, where she shares her story of surviving multiple incidences of abuse and medical challenges and um, all the things that, uh, and, and I know from, for, from experience, having worked with Susie off and on for the better part of the past decade, um, there's definitely, um, you, you can sense that there's been some growth, but there's also been, um, you know, a kind of a change in tone. She's kind of a happy-go-lucky type of person, but uh, from the first time we met to the conversation we just had, I can hear God's doing a great work in her life. Uh, Susie's new book is called Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And uh, if you've experienced any kind of physical, spiritual, or emotional pain or abuse, this book will be a great encouragement to you. We have two copies we're giving away today, 800 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Before the break, I was talking about how, and this is something that was new to me, I just learned about this last week, uh, a group called the Abortion Survivors Network um, has deemed that September is Babies Survive Abortions Awareness Month. And this is a group that is committed to helping those who have survived an abortion tell that story. The first year, I've been waxing sentimental today here on the Bottom Line Show because it was 12 years ago today that I hopped onto a plane and flew to Detroit, Michigan and met with uh, Mr. Don Crawford Sr. and uh, Frank Franciosi, the manager of WMUZ, and Bob Duco. And we sat down and outlined what the Bottom Line Show would look like. And between us, I had never hosted a talk show like this before. They were talking about the election of 2012. I knew that I kind of kept a cursory knowledge of what was going on, but I had no idea that I was going to dive headfirst into the world of politics and abortion and the corrupt politicians and COVID maltreatment, all sorts of things. It's been a wonderful ride, and I'm looking forward to the next 12 years, to be sure. Next Tuesday, we'll have a little commemoration. But when I came across this information about the Babies Survive Abortions Awareness Month, which is the entire month of September, it got me thinking, how often do children survive abortions? I know of two women who are abortion survivors, uh, three actually, one whom, of whom I've not met. Uh, Gianna Jessen is probably one of the more well-known abortion survivors. She and I had got a, the privilege of meeting the first year the Bottom Line Show was represented at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. That was in Nashville in 2012. And we had a, just a wonderful conversation about what her life was like. She had cerebral palsy. She had some hearing problems. She, uh, you know, wanted to date, wanted to, you know, have that normal life experience, had bitter issues with her mother for trying to abort her. And yet God had given her a platform and, uh, and a story to tell. Another woman uh, by the name of Melissa Oden, who I've had the privilege of seeing on video, I've never had a chance to meet her, also tells the story of her mother attempting a late-term abortion on her. And this is back in the early days. And then a dear friend of mine, a colleague who I worked in ministry with for many years, uh, his wife's sister had been, uh, dad was a pastor. And uh, mom and dad had, I believe, three daughters at the time, and they conceived a fourth child. And everyone in their church, they say, or enough people in their church said, look, pastor, we can't afford to pay you more money because you've got this other child. You really should end the pregnancy. And so they attempted. It didn't take. Obviously, the the young woman survived. And now, mercifully, mother and daughter travel the Southland, uh, sharing their testimony and talking about why abortion is murder and why they don't support it. But it got me thinking, you know, when you hear about the, you know, we, we, we've got to, you know, perform abortions because women, was it Hillary Clinton was quoted last week as saying something like, you know, this advances women's rights if they could kill their children in the womb. But it got me thinking about 
how the left is so committed to killing children, um, you know, harvesting their organs. There's a big industry that goes along that. We, we, we all know that's true. They, they can... They could fight tooth and nail to try to sue David Daleiden for millions of dollars or Sandra Merritt or Troy Newman, the president of Operation Rescue, who helped found Center for Medical Progress. He's got $13 million in potential fines hanging over his head. The left can do whatever they want, threaten prison time, you know, financial challenges, whatever it is. It does not change the fact that when you abort a child, you are stopping a beating heart, you are killing a human being. If we declare that a human being is alive, uh, is dead rather, when their heart stops beating, then should we not be able to, uh, you know, declare them alive when the heart start, starts beating? And I say that as someone who had open heart surgery and I know what it's like to kind of be frozen for 15 to 20 minutes where they kind of kept my heart going artificially. They kept everything brain function. It's amazing. I mean, there are still times when I have uh, moments of dizziness. I, like I tried to climb up in the attic that we have a large ceiling in our home, a high roof. And uh, so it looks like a two-story home on the outside, but it's actually a one-story. And we're having some work done to the air conditioning the other day and technician was out. And I tried climbing up in the attic with them and I got about three-fourths of the way up and I had to stop, catch my breath and come back down because I still have issues with uh, balance and that type of stuff. It's a good thing I do the show sitting down, right? Let's put it that way. But I understand I wasn't dead in that moment. They stopped my heart so they could repair it and then start it back up again. And I just, I marvel when I think about everything that happened inside under the hood here in my body and what doctors can do. But it's amazing to me how the same doctors who would say, okay, Mr. Marsh, we're going to put you on this machine and kind of freeze you for 15 to 20 minutes while we do the repairs on the heart, get everything fired back up again, and it'll be working. Some of those same people are the ones who say, yeah, but you know, we'll get the mifepristone going in for a pregnant woman and we'll effectively starve the baby to death. Then the second pill comes in and tells the mother's body who's fighting like crazy to keep that baby safe. And the, the, the physical part says, keep everything closed until it's time for the baby to be born. You literally have to give the body drugs to open up so that the now dead baby can be eliminated from the woman's body. It's so unnatural what they do. And yet when it comes to whether to abort or not abort, the progressive pro-abortion crowd is always of the mindset that, well, you have two options. You either abort the child or, well, I guess you could be a mom, but you'll be in a life of poverty and you'll never get an education and you'll never get ahead. I love working with our friends at Preborn because Preborn are here to remind you that there's a third option and that option is adoption. And you tell the truth to the pregnant woman by showing her a picture of the ultrasound and by either, you know, with the ultrasound, you've got the machine that's got the audio. You can turn the audio up and hear the heartbeat, or you can see the little readout where the heart's beating, you know, kind of like when you're in the hospital and someone's hooked up to the EKG or whatever, and you can see it beep, 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 moving on there. So the adoption part is what makes preborn work so well, because a lot of women who thought I only had two choices, when they find out they have a third 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and have an ultrasound treatment done wind up choosing life for the baby. And that means either they release that child for adoption or they take that child home after he or she is born and raise the child as their own. Planned Parenthood has this number, right? 375,000 abortions that they'll cop to, and those are mostly surgical. That doesn't include all the pills that they're sending all over the country. And their adoption referral rate is like 1,800. It's pathetic. But have you ever wondered why it's always around that much? On the other side of this break, I want to talk about another statistic that will blow your mind when you find out how many abortions, quote unquote, failed and the child survived. It's way more than we've been led to believe. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Our friends at Preborn always do such a great job of keeping us up to date with bottom line show listeners, especially here in Southern California, who reach out to us and let us know that they are supporting Preborn. Uh, Milton in Lake Elsinore reached out over Labor Day weekend and made a gift of $840, a one-time donation to support ultrasounds and the uh, making them available to women all throughout the Southland through Preborn. Uh, if you're wondering why $840, it costs $28 to provide an ultrasound. That's the images, the pregnancy test, the meeting with the technician to show you how far along you are, and then to explain what your 
your options are. And 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and get the ultrasound test done for free to them, we pay for it. I mean, we as supporters of preborn, uh, 85% of the women choose life for their children, either to become a mother or to release that child for adoption. Do what Milton did. He picked 30. I, I'm not what sure the, the math was behind that, but he picked 30 kids to sponsor, 30 appointments at $28 a piece. donation, one-time tax deductible. Make your gift today. Uh, 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or go online to kbrightradio.com. You'll see a picture of a couple of cute uh, newborn twins. Click that banner. Make your donation today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at abortion statistics that you may not have heard. And our friends at Preborn will tell you, hey, look, when you come to a preborn clinic, and your donation, by the way, $28 provides one ultrasound treatment. Uh, it's completely tax deductible. They get to see the baby's picture. They get to hear the heartbeat. They get the pregnancy test, all of that. Um, 833-850-BABY is the number to call to make a donation. 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com and click on the preborn banner. Um, the number of women who wind up adopting their children out, releasing their children for adoption because they saw the ultrasound, goes up dramatically at preborn clinics. 85% of the women, 80, let's say 85 out of every 100 babies who goes to a preborn clinic for an ultrasound winds up either being adopted or taken home. Phenomenal, right? Well, I shared before the break, Planned Parenthood cops to aborting about 375,000 babies every year and doing adoption referrals for about 1,800. Did you know that according to the Abortion Survivors Network, about 85,817 infants have been born alive after failed abortions over the past 50 years? You know what that average number of abortion survivors is every year? 1,734. In other words, in addition to the adoption referrals that we get from Planned Parenthood, that information, about the same number of kids survive an abortion procedure. Now, in Kermit Gosnell's case, remember the, that doctor of death? The baby would survive the abortion. He'd just snap their spinal column, clip it right at the base of the skull, and watch that child die. And abortionists in many, many blue states are saying, we think that's fine. Um those of us in the sanctity of life community have the utmost respect for the fact that basically talk about denying the science, 85,817 infants who've been born alive after failed abortions would have abortionists say, no, since I began the abortion on you, clinically you're dead and we will leave you to die. Make your best donation to preborn today. 833-850-BABY. Uh, $28 provides a, uh, an ultrasound appointment for a mom that will 85% chance that it'll save the baby's life. $15,000 tax deductible donation provides one ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic. And those could do 250 um, ultrasounds per year uh, for at least 10 years. So I encourage you to make your best donation to Preborn today. Still got a few seconds left to call in. We've got two copies of Susie Larson's outstanding book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him The Most? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. i got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, it's time for this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.